0: Hebrews. Let's go. Grab your Bibles. Book of Hebrews. And in my Bible, I don't have to turn another page to get to the end of it. We've been in there a long time. So the end is getting close and it's just been a tremendous book challenging comforting Uh, it's really probably a sermon that got recorded uh, and the audience that's getting addressed is a group of jewish believers who in the midst of uh, kind of feeling like outcasts are drifting back into jewish practices kind of abandoning the gospel or, or distorting the gospel and the the preacher or the author is saying why would you ever walk away from jesus he's better He's, he's better than the angels. He's greater than Moses and David. He's the great high priest. He's the great sufficient sacrifice. Like this, Jesus is where you need to be at. But these Jewish believers, uh, we're going to get it from both sides. You're getting persecuted by the Romans because you're Jewish. And you're getting persecuted by other Jewish people because you're Christian. So you can kind of feel... Uh, this, this temptation that they would have of like, I'm just tired of this. I want to fit in somewhere. Like where are my people? Um, and it's, it's getting exhausting and they're starting to compromise. Um, and then you get to chapter 11 that we just finished. We walked through that and broke that down to a handful of weeks where you get, it's kind of the hall of faith. You get all these examples, uh, of people who lived their life by faith. And he's saying, Hey, you're, You're kind of wanting to fit in with this world. Let me give you some better role models. Like this is who you need to look to. And we're going to pick up at the beginning of chapter 12. And we just got three verses, but he kind of turns the corner to get some application. I just want to read our passage to you up front, and then we'll step back, talk about it, and dive back into it. Sound good? All right. Chapter 12. (coughs) Chapter 12. so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. Now, when we look at this, these three verses as a whole, there's one main command or imperative in here. And that's to run. Where he's being called to like run. Uh, we were in teachers' meeting this this week discussing the text, and Jordan, um, he's like, "Well, I've run several marathons, and you know, in my running experience, there's so many parallels." And I was like, "I concur." Like, from my running experience, <laughs> uh, <coughs> it's insulting that you laugh at that. Uh, It's like, no, I'm not a runner, surprise, but I know what it's like to get tired. I I can contribute that insight to this text because that's really what he's addressing. You saw at the end of like, so that you don't grow weary and faint hearted, but it's this call to run and not just run, but run with endurance. Like any, I told my track coach, anything with a turn is long distance. All right. Let's just clarify that. He's like, no, you got to run with endurance, like for a long time. We're being called to, to run. In fact, endurance is kind of a theme in these three verses. You have uh, looking to Jesus uh, who endured the cross or consider him who endured from sinners such hostility. And then a description when he says, let us run with endurance. Like that's how we're supposed to run. Now, when he says run, he doesn't literally mean run. Um, he, he's saying is you need to live an intentional, passionate Christian life. There's an imagery of run, but what he means is the way that we follow Jesus. So you get all these examples of people who live by faith, and now he says, now you got to live by faith. And it's your turn. You, you, you exercise your faith. You run. You live a, a committed, faithful life to Jesus. But he says run because he's trying to say, hey, there's some intensity to the Christian life. And he says race because you're not just running aimlessly. Like there's some uh, intentionality and focus to what we've been called to do. And he says endurance because this just isn't a short sprint. This is a lifelong journey and you're going to want to quit and it's hard. But he's calling us to run and to run passionately. And he's instructing and motivating to try to avoid something. At the end of our section it says so that, like this is the reason for what I'm telling you, You may not grow weary or faint hearted. In fact, that that phrase in the original language was a phrase that was used to describe a runner that collapses from exhaustion. It's like that's what we're trying to avoid. We we just want to avoid like you just you just quit. You're just tired, I'm exhausted, and I'm just ready to be done. So how many of you not talking about running, but in the Christian life, you would feel like I'm growing a little bit weary, this Christian thing. Like I I haven't abandoned my faith, I'm tired. I'm tired of not fitting in. I'm tired of people looking at me and my views as, as bigoted or, you know, that I, I'm closed minded. I'm, I'm tired of feeling like the only Christian in the office. I'm just tired of this. Or I'm tired of even feeling like I'm not even good at it. Like I'm tired of feeling like I don't pray enough, that I don't read enough, that I don't know enough. Like I'm trying, but that's exhausting. And you're just tired. So, how do you endure? How do you endure? How, how do we keep running? How do you get your second wind? They talk about a second wind. I've lost my first one, never found the second one. It's out there, right? How do you like keep going like you find your second wind as a follower of Jesus? How do you recapture a sense of passion and energy behind following Jesus? Now, a lot of what he's saying is here is meant to be motivational. Like you've got this... Amazing list of people in chapter 11. Now go, your turn. Let's go. You run too. Like it's being motivational. But there's also a sense of there's some instructional, helpful running tips. So like a coach would sometimes just like I'm going to inspire you. I'm going to try to crank it up, get you to do something. But also I'm going to instruct you. Like keep your elbows in. This is how you do it, right? So it's not just run harder. It's also run smarter. In fact, in this passage, and um, there's, uh, there's some coaching tips that have been, been a paradigm shift for me personally when it comes to living the Christian life. So I hope as we look at these verses, you'll find them really practically helpful in helping you run with endurance or be faithful uh, in your Christian life. Sound good? All right. Verse 1, let's jump in and look a little closer at these, these verses. Therefore... Since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses. Now the therefore, whenever you see that, you need to what? Ask what the therefore is. Therefore. Good Bible students here. And he's like... Uh, he's connecting what he talked about in chapter 11 to now what he's going to say in the first few verses in chapter 12. He's saying, listen, chapter 11 was not just a history lesson. Like, oh, remember Noah? Wasn't he cool? Remember? Like, no, there's a point to it. And he's going to draw on some application from chapter 11 to us here in the beginning of chapter 12. And he says, therefore, since or because we're surrounded by this great cloud of witnesses... No witness. Not just an example. These aren't just examples. They're witnesses. And when you think of witnesses, you could say like, it either says that somebody is, uh, saw something or sees something, or a witness is somebody who says something. So like you could, I, I witnessed the car accident. Or the lawyer calls the witness to the stand to testify and say something. So you get to this passage and like, what is it? What are these witnesses? Are they, are they people who see something or are they people who say something? And sometimes just reading this, we can kind of get this image in our mind of we're living this Christian life, and this great cloud of, of witnesses, of Old Testament saints, are just watching us. And that can kind of be scary or intimidating. Like Isaiah's up there with a box of popcorn, just kind of watching your life, right? I got sawed in too, but you're afraid not to get invited to the barbecue. I mean, the game's changed, right? They're just not the same anymore. Well, that's like super intimidating, this idea that these people are just witnessing us or watching us. I don't think that's what this is saying. I think what they're saying is these witnesses are saying something. I get that because I go back to verse 4 in chapter 11. He says this. He's talking about, by faith, Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain. But you get to the end of the verse, and he says, although his faith, all through his faith, though he died, he still, What? speaks so he's saying something and then he goes on to other examples and they, they still speak the, these witnesses are telling us something so what are these witnesses telling us god is faithful like he's worth it he's worth living for he's worth not fitting in for he's he's better than this world has offered. like they're testifying by their life he's worth it. And there, there's a great cloud of witnesses. Like, there's a lot, a lot of them. Like, it, when he get to the judges, he's like, I don't even have time to go through all these. But you get it, right? Th- there's a lot, as in, you're not alone. Like, you may feel alone. You may feel like the only follower of Jesus in your neighborhood. You may feel like the only follower of Jesus in your family, at your workplace. But you are not alone. You are a part of a history of people who have been faithful to Jesus despite the culture around them. You're not alone in this. And this is, this is super important, I think. So, so don't miss this. He's giving them a sense of identity and belonging in the midst of their struggle. Like you're being persecuted and you feel alone, but let me tell you who you are. Like, you know, when you come to the the genealogy sections in the Bible, it's probably the ones you skip, right? Because you can't understand the names or what is this point? Chapter 11 is like a faith genealogy. He's going through like the history of people who have been faithful. And he's like, these are your people. I know you're struggling, but, but I'm telling you, these are your people. Like, this is your stock by faith. This is your family. And it's important. People want to know their past to better understand who they are. Like, this is why, like, people go to um, Ancestry.com. Anybody done that? Or maybe they don't. Maybe they don't. I don't know. (laughs) Or like that 23andMe. Like, you want to know, like, what's my history? Who are my ancestors? What's the the bigger story that I'm a part of? What what, what am I connected to? Uh, Growing up... um, so on my dad's side, my great-grandpa's grandpa was Native American. And as a little kid, I thought, this is so cool. I was so excited about it. Like, I'm connected to this story. It's like, it part of the Seneca tribe. And I would try to learn about the tribe. And it's like, this is really neat. I didn't, not enough to get scholarships or anything. But, <clears throat> like, I thought this was really neat. Uh, one time, when I was in fifth grade, my dad was a football coach. So I would just follow him around in the weight room a lot of times. I was fifth grade. We were lifting weights. <clears throat> and my finger got chopped in the weight machine, uh, and just blood everywhere. Another coach found the tip of my finger to bring it back, but you didn't really want to hear that. Uh, <laughs> lots of blood. Anyways, I remember after that, my dad came to me. was like, well, I think you lost all your Indian blood. I was just devastated. <laughs> like, oh, man, like my hair. like, it, it doesn't work that way. But. That's the plug. Like, it's like you want to know, like, what am I connected with? Who, who's, who's the larger group of people? What's the story that I, that I find myself in? That's what the author is doing here. He's like, let me tell you about your family. Let me tell you about your, your great, 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 great brother in Christ. who He was faithful and they threw him in a lion's den. And he's like, Lord, shut the mouth of lions. Let, let me tell you about your great, 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 great brother in Christ. God called him out of his home and he didn't even know where he was going and he left and he followed in faith. Like that's your stock. Let me tell you about your great, 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 great sister in Christ, Rahab. She used to be a prostitute at a struggling life, but faith radically transformed her life. Like by faith, this is your family and you come from a long line of people who live by faith. Therefore, you... This is who you are. This is your family. You live by faith. So he says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses, let us also, as in this is what they did, this is what we need to do, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, Despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself, so that you may not grow weary or faint hearted. So we got run as the main command here. That's the main imperative that he's given. That's the motivation. Hey, you see these great examples? This is where you come from. You need to run. Let's go. But in order to run, we also get some instructional coaching. And he says, we need to do a couple things. You need to lay aside every weight and sin that hinders, you need to look to Jesus or you need to consider Jesus. Those are the running instructions. We try to get a little bit more practical. When you run, you got to lay some things aside and you got to look to Jesus. Or or when you run, make sure your shoes are tied and look where you're going. Basically, let me give you the big principle up front. The key to endurance is getting rid of what hinders and meditating on what motivates getting rid of what hinders, and meditating on what motivates. Now, that's kind of the big principle, but what does that mean practically? Like, how do we implement that into our lives? Let's look back up at verse one. He says, Let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. Or maybe your translation says, Throw off those things that so easily entangle. It's the things that trip you up in life. It's like, you got to deal... With the thi- if you're going to run, you've got to deal with the things that trip you up. If you're going to run a race, you don't like, put on a trench coat and tie your shoelaces together. Like, that doesn't work, right? You've got to be prepared. You've got to have mobility to run this race. And what he's saying through this imagery is you can't hold on to sin and live a passionate Christian life. Like, those two things are opposed to each other. They're, they're not they're going to work together. Like, they're, they're, they're in opposition, Right, if I, if I grabbed two people and just said, hey, we're going to race around this room. And one person is like, here's a backpack and a trench coat. Now go. You're going to feel like, oh, I'm at a disadvantage. Exactly. So he's saying, like, you're at a disadvantage if you're going to try to pursue Christ and cling to sin. Like, it, it doesn't work, it's, they work against each other. Now, maybe that's where you're at. Like you genuinely claim Christ. You, you genuinely trying to be the best Christian you can be. But you just kind of refuse to let go of some sinful practices and habits in your life. Like I'm a Christian, but I'm not going to address this issue. And I'm a Christian, I'm not going to confess this sin. And I'm a Christian, but I'm not going to like try to deal with this struggle. And you, and you, and you live kind of these both worlds. And guess what? You already know this. It's tiring. It's tiring. A lot of people who used to go to church or used to be a follower of Jesus and are not anymore, it's because of the exhaustion of duplicity. The exhaustion of duplicity. I'm just trying to be in two different worlds. I'm trying to hold on to this and I'm trying to do this. I'm trying to be the best Christian I can be, but I'm not willing to let go of this. And I'm just going back and forth, back and forth. And it's exhausting. And if there is sin you refuse to turn from and you are trying to run after Christ, it's only a matter of time until something gives. You're going you're, you're to you're grow weary and faint-hearted. Like you've got to deal with the sin in your life. So, so think, think of it like this, guys. Enduring or ongoing thriving as a Christian requires ongoing repentance. Like, I'm running, and I'm, then this stuff is tripping me up. I got to deal with it. I got to confess it. I got to repent. I, I run some more, and now, now pride kind of jumps into my life. I got to confess it and, and repent of it. And I run some more, and then this sin kind of tangles me up, and I got to confess it and repent it. And that's the Christian life. And we have to stop seeing repentance as this dirty word. Like, we're scared of it because it, it says that we did something wrong. That shouldn't surprise you. Like, our theology tells us that we're sinners. We struggle. Repentance should be an ongoing practice in our life. Of, it, it's, it's important for us running to God. So we should be asking ourselves, what's the sin that's tripping me up? What's the sin I don't want to deal with or bring into the light? Because I can't hold on to this and run to Jesus. That's not, that's not going to work. And I might try for a while, but you will get exhausted. And if you don't repent, you will eventually quit. You have to deal with the sin in your life. But notice this is one of those paradigm shifts. He doesn't just say to lay aside every sin that clings so closely. What does he say? He says lay aside every weight and sin that clings so closely. Like there's these two different categories. Like, yeah, you got to deal with the sin in your life. And you got to lay that aside. But there's this whole other category That may be not classified technically as sin, but it still hinders your pursuit of God. It still weighs you down, it still trips you up. Like, for example, it may not be technically sinful for you to watch four hours of Netflix every night. Maybe it's not too helpful in your pursuit of God. It may not be sinful for you to have social media on your phone and check it every half hour, but it may not be helpful in your pursuit of God he's saying even these things you need to cast aside you need to throw off because it's going to trip you up just like paul says everything that's permissible is not beneficial we need to be asking not what's permissible what's beneficial is this going to help me pursue god or is it going to trip me up or get in the way because church this is important to understand christianity is about more than just avoiding sin that's just morality and there's a lot of moral people but they don't love jesus maybe that's what you've reduced it down to. And if so, you're missing it. You're missing it. You're missing it. And you'd be like, well, I haven't stolen anything, and I haven't cheated, and I haven't robbed anybody, and I haven't done this, and I haven't... It's like, yeah, and you haven't worshipped either. You haven't you know, fed on God's word, and you haven't served, and you haven't shared the gospel. And Christianity is so much more than just avoiding sin. It's pursuing God. The goal is not morality. The the goal is God. The goal is God. Like like to stay with this analogy, let's say uh, somebody showed up for a race, the race set before us, and they're like, okay, what are the rules? Like, "Uh, well, you can't cross the starting line until they fire the gun, and don't punch or push any other runners. Let's not do that. And you just got to stay on the course. And that pretty much sums up the race, right? And the runner's like, okay, sweet. Here's my strategy then. I'm going to go way to the back so I make sure I don't cross the line before I'm supposed to. And I'm going to let all the runners get out in front of me so I'm not tempted to push or punch anybody. And then I'll just stay the course. And this will be great. Like, well, I don't know if you get the concept of a race. <laughs> like, yeah, you, you followed all the rules, but you're completely missing it. And if that's how you see Christianity, it's like, well, if I just avoid this and avoid this, and I just, it's about pursuing God, not just obeying rules. It's like, I don't know if you completely get the concept. So here's a perspective change I think we need to have. When you go through life and opportunities come up or temptation comes up or whatever comes your way, don't ask, is it wrong? Is it sinful? That's the wrong question. It's like a teenage boy that's dating and he wants to know how far is too far. I don't really like your question. Um, But you're just like, do you just want to like toe the line of sin? Is that your goal? Like how close to sin can I get and still be okay? That's the wrong goal. So so don't ask, is it wrong? Ask, is it helpful? Is this going to help me run? Is this going to help me pursue God? That's the kind of question we need to ask. But that kind of question only makes sense when God, not morality, is the goal. If morality is the goal, then you're just like, well, how close can I get? What do I have to avoid? But when God's the goal, then he's the pursuit. So let me ask you this question. Is closeness to God a passionate pursuit in your life? Are you somebody who's like, like, it's a driving force in your life. I want to know God. I want to be close to God. Like, could you say with Paul, I count everything as loss"? compared to the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. Like, that's my highest aim. I want to know God. I want to be close to God. Like, if if people looked at your life, could they conclude, oh, he is passionate, or she is passionate about knowing God? Like, this is what's driving everything in her life. If you showed up for a race, and you're ready to run, and you're wearing a suit, and some fancy penny loafers, or a purse and a dress, high heels, eating a cheeseburger. So, somebody could fairly conclude like, I don't think you're taking this too seriously. I don't think you're really ready to run. And we can chuckle at that, but to stay with this analogy, if the race that's set before you and you show up and it's like, you're still living with your boyfriend, and you won't confess your pornography struggle, and you refuse to say you have a drinking problem. I don't know if you're really taking this race too seriously. No chuckles at that one? We have to deal with the sin that's in front of us if we're serious about pursuing God. And first Peter one thirteen, there's a this great passage where Peter's challenging people to follow christ and he says prepare your minds for action and i love the the original literal translation it means gird up your loins so they would wear these long robes and they say if you're going to run you got to like pull up your your robe so there's nothing ready to trip you up so guys if we're going to run after god then it starts with dealing with things that will hinder our pursuit of him like, you need to take inventory What's the sin in my life I don't want to deal with? I don't want to confess. I don't want to repent of. I'm trying to hide or manage. What are the things in your life that aren't technically sin, but they're certainly not helpful? I mean, maybe you need to tell some people, like, I'm, I watch too much TV. I'm just going to admit it. I hardly ever read my Bible. I watch a ton of TV. Not technically sinful, but, but certainly not helpful. And I need to make these changes. I need to like, get these things that kind of trip me up. You need to take some inventory. That's the first running tip. We need to deal with whatever's holding you back. Here's the second one. Look at verse uh, 2 and 3. Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross despising the shame and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. So the second kind of coaching point we get here is you need to look to Jesus or you need to consider Jesus. You need to give your attention and your focus to Jesus because he's the founder and perfecter of our faith or he's the author of or the, the captain, or the pioneer of our faith. He is the perfect example of our faith. So all throughout this book, we've been seeing, like, Jesus is greater. He's greater than the angels. He's greater than Moses. He's greater than David. He's the great high priest. Now you get to chapter 11, and you have all these, like, great Old Testament saints, and the amazing example of faith they were. And they says, but the greatest example is still Jesus. He's greater than all those people. Like, this is the one you need to look to. L- look to Jesus. So when we look to Jesus... What do we see? How did he endure what this text points out? Shame, hostility, death. How did he endure that? If we're going to look to him, what what do we learn from his endurance? Look at the beginning of verse 2. Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. For the joy or because the joy was set before him, he endured the cross. In other words, I can suffer this. I can tolerate this. I can put up with this. I can persevere through this because my eyes are fixed on that. That's how Jesus endured. That's how this text says that Jesus endured the cross. His focus wasn't on the cross. His focus was on the joy that was set before him. Where's your focus? Like This this is how he endured. In fact, in in 1 Peter, that same verse, uh, chapter 1, verse 13, when he says, Prepare your minds for action or gird up your loins. The verse continues on and it says, Set your hope on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus. It's the same idea. Gird up your loins, like deal with things that will trip you up, and then set your hope on the, on the good things to come. And here in Hebrews he's saying, Hey, deal with things that trip you up. Like lay those aside and then look to Jesus. Consider Jesus like, look down the road. And when we look to Jesus, guys, it's not just that Jesus endured as an example. But what did he endure? The cross. And why did he endure it? To reconcile us back to the Father. So Jesus just didn't give us an example. He made a way. This is important to get. Listen, because Jesus endured the cross, there is now joy set before us. So when we look at the finish line, what do we see now because of Jesus and his endurance of the cross? Acceptance by the Father, forgiveness, paradise. That's the joy now set before us when we look at Jesus. That's our motivation to run. See, I think one of of the biggest uh, problems of our present lack of faithfulness is I don't think we think of our future glory enough. It's it's the why and fuel behind our endurance. And and this is the command here. He's saying you you gotta you gotta look to him. You gotta focus. Do do, do this. Now, you're never gonna be able to do verse one without verse two. You're never gonna be able to do verse one without verse two. Verse one is this call to like repent and, and cast away things that get in your way. How are you ever gonna do that? Where's the motivation to do that? Look into Jesus. But when you look to Jesus and you see the joy set before you, then it's like, oh yeah, let's get this out of the way because I'm actually running towards something and someone. That gives you motivation to deal with what's tripping you up. But if we just tell you like, hey, don't do that. Knock that off. Be be a better Christian. And you don't have joy set before you, you're never going to deal with what's tripping you up. But if you get verse 2, verse 1 will follow. Some people, some people think... That this life is too short to struggle through it. You don't want to waste this life in struggle and suffering and pain. Like enjoy the time you got. But what the author of Hebrews is telling us is eternity is too awesome not to live for it. It's too awesome not to sacrifice for it. Like like look here. So, in order to not grow weary, in order to not get frustrated and grow faint-hearted and just want to quit. When Christianity is so hard, he's saying, look to Jesus, keep your eyes fixed on him and what he offers, the way that he is made. Or in other words, this is what I want you to remember. Meditating on Jesus motivates living for Jesus. Meditating on Jesus motivates living for Jesus. And this is the command or the coaching point for faithful living. You got, you got to focus on Jesus. You, you got to You've got to turn your attention to Jesus. You've got to give your soul some thoughts of Jesus. But I don't, I don't think that we really know how to apply this practically. I didn't for the longest time. And I would tend to make things more complicated than they need to be. For example, let's say that you have a devotional time. And you you're maybe you're in a Bible reading plan. You're doing the Veritas Bible reading plan. Anybody doing the Veritas Bible reading plan? Sweet. Other people feel guilty? Do it and get it on the app. But you got another Bible reading plan. Whatever you're doing. You have a Bible reading plan and you're going through it. And you read, you do your devotional. So you have your, your time in the Word. And you read it and it's just like, okay, Gideon, he lays out a fleece. Is that a good thing? Should we do that? I don't I don't know. Okay, we're in Revelation and there's a some bowls and a dragon and somebody's blowing a trumpet. Okay, and then you just, you check the box. I read it, right? I did it I go out my day. But if we're honest, sometimes we leave those times feeling more spiritually tired than we did going into it. Like I'm already running a race. Now you want me to do math or history? Like this is, I don't get it. I don't have, I'm like, you're, you're it's not necessarily filling. It's just more exhausting. Now listen, we should grow in our knowledge of God. We should study God's Word. In fact, in this letter, back in chapter 5 and chapter 6, the author's critiquing them. It's like, you ought to be teachers by now, but you're not. Like We need to go back and relearn some basics. We need to grow in our knowledge of God. When you read your Bible and you don't get questions, write your questions down. Look them up. Talk to somebody who knows more. Like Grow in your knowledge of God. That needs to be an important part of our maturity as a Christian. But... That is not what he's talking about here. And we need to understand and apply what he's talking about here. It's so important for our endurance, our ongoing faithful living. What he's talking about here is in your struggles, when you're tired and exhausted and you don't want to do this anymore, he's saying you need to give intentional thoughts to Jesus. You need to think about Jesus. You need to consider Jesus. You need to give your heart and your soul thoughts of Jesus. Now listen, you've got to get this. This is not about learning new things. This is about recalling, inspiring things. Things that make you want to run. Things that make you want to worship. Things that make you want to follow and be faithful to Jesus. So, so let's do this. We'll just practice right now. Close your eyes. And some of you are a country, and you're like, I'm not doing that. I'm not closing my eyes. Close your eyes, all right? If you're a Christian, if you're not a Christian, we're super glad you're here. This may seem weird to you. But if you're a follower of Jesus, close your eyes. And I just want us to like consider him our Savior. Like, practice this. Jesus, he left the comforts of heaven to be born in a manger and face persecution and down a cross to rescue and redeem you. There is nothing that can snatch you from the Father's hand because of what he accomplished. There's nothing that can separate you from the love of Christ. You remember when he said that all who are weary and heavy laden, come to me and I will give you rest? Jesus is the rest giver. Or when he said, All who are thirsty, come and drink here. Like there's a well, a spring of living water, you'll never thirst again. Jesus is where you find satisfaction, not in this world. Do you remember when Jesus was at a long day, coming back, walked to get into another town, and on the way out, he had to wait because there was a funeral procession going in, and it was the only son of a widow. And he walked up to the widow, and he said, don't cry. And he touched the casket and brought her son back to life. That's our Jesus. He sees you. He cares for you. He meets your needs and he provides for you. Do you remember the time when he gave you new life? When you first understood and embraced the gospel and you felt the freedom of forgiveness of sins? That's our savior. Do you remember the promises that he's made? The promise to never leave you or forsake you. The promise that if you lose your life for his sake, you'll find it. An abundant life. The promise to go away and prepare a place for you. And if he goes away, he's going to come back. That he promised to return. And when he returns, he promised to wipe every tear from your eye and make all things new. Can you imagine what that'll be like? That there'll be no more pain or death or mourning. That he promised to the one who conquers he will grant to eat of the tree of life that's in the paradise of God. Are you kidding me? Our Savior is amazing. Open your eyes. That was a couple minutes. But for endurance, to get your second wind, to recapture energy and passion in the Christian life, we need more times like that. Intentional inspiring thinking of Jesus. I, I can't tell you how practically important it is for you to just take some time where you consider how awesome your savior is, how better he is in everything this world has to offer, and how worth it it is to live for him. We need that for our endurance. And we grind it out and we try to do our devotions and we try to be a good Christian. We try to come to church and we try to serve here and we try to read our Bible. And I'm trying to pray more and I'm trying, I'm trying, I'm trying. Just stop. Look to Jesus and consider the author and perfecter of your faith. And let it fuel your heart to live for him. Throughout your day, take a minute, a minute just to shut your door, shut your eyes, and turn your attention to Jesus. Our endurance depends on it. It's so that we will not grow weary or faint-hearted. And I'm not asking you to, to learn new things in this, yet, yet grow your knowledge of God. But are you recalling inspiring things about our Savior? So we kind of did that as a group. We're going to do it again When we take communion. Because when Jesus commanded communion. He said do this what? In remembrance of me. And do it as often as you drink it. Because even in communion. The command of Jesus. Is you need to be frequently thinking about me. Because I know how hard this world is. And if they hated me. They're going to hate you. So every time you get together. And you partake of these elements. Do it in remembrance of me. Like turn your attention to me because life is hard and problems are overwhelming and you need to remember my body was broken for you. I got this. My blood was shed for you. I got you. And in doing this, may you be re- inspired to cast every weight and sin, or sin off. Lay it to the side because you're not going to be met with judgment, but mercy, and grace and forgiveness. It's been paid for. And you would you be inspired to run passionately after God. Because of this act of Jesus, joy is now set before us too. Amen? Let's pray. Father, it's so easy to get entangled with the things of this world, entangled up in the sin of our life, tangled up in the cares of this world. But we don't want to be a seed that gets choked out. We want our roots to go down deep. We want to be fed and nourished by you. So I pray that as, as your spirit moves in us, would you turn our attention to you? Would you inspire our heart? Would we reflect on how awesome you are? How better you are than anything this world has to offer? How worth it it is to live for you. It would be led to, to run with passion the race set before us. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.